Amen. Amen. Well, take your Bibles this morning as we begin to worship through the Word and listen carefully. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It is our normal habit to walk through books of the Bible here at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. We are walking through Philippians. Lord willing, we'll pick up uh, where we left off in Philippians 2 verse 12 next week. And let me just say, uh, one of my favorite passages in Philippians, the one that has probably had the most effect on me, is Lord willing what I'll be preaching next Sunday. But this morning, I wanted to take just a week break from Philippians and talk about something that I think is pertinent for today. This is a significant day in the life of Prince Avenue Baptist Church. I don't know if you know this, but it has been three and a half years since Prince Avenue had a full-time worship pastor. Three and a half years. And uh, I am thankful that in God's providence, you waited. Uh, That's something that as a senior pastor, Brother Bill would certainly understand this. You want to be able to be involved in that choice. The relationship between a worship pastor and a lead teaching pastor is a very significant relationship. But this morning, we uh, welcome Ryan and his family. And I just begin to think about the significance of this day and, of course, Uh, The moment that I was called to pastor here, really the first thing I began to pray is that God would provide this specific person. I knew how important this was and began to pray from that moment that God would lead us in the right direction. I've been thinking a lot just about music in general. There is nothing, you know this, that gets more opinions than music in the church. Can I have an amen? amen? I'm so thankful that in our church, this is not an area of conflict. I mean that genuinely, but it is an area of much opinion. So I just started asking myself this question this week. Why do we sing on Sundays? I mean, we spend half of our time together singing. We start with a song. We end with a song. We know that we come to church and we sing and we hear the word. If you were to show up one day and there would be no singing, everyone would wonder what was wrong because this is just what we do. But the question is, is why do we sing on Sunday? Why is this something that the church gathers and does? It's honestly, I hate to say this, a question I'd never really put that much thought into, but something I wanted to think about and talk with you about this morning. So if you don't mind, I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 5 and simply try to answer that question, why do we sing on Sundays? Now listen, Ephesians 5 is not the only place that has an answer to that question. You can go all throughout Scripture and find a ton of reasons why God's people sing. First of all, and most basically, God commands his people to sing. Do you know there's over 400 references to music in the Bible? Do you think music matters to God? Do you know there are over 50 direct commands that the people of God sing? So we sing because God commands it. We sing because we have a singing God. Zephaniah 3.16, God, it says that God sings over us with loud songs of joy. So God is a singer. Jesus modeled for us that when we gather, we sing. At the Last Supper, they took the Lord's Supper and they sang together. All of heaven is singing. Revelation 13 says that there is a sound in heaven like the roar of a mighty rushing wind. What is it? It's the sound of people singing, and for eternity, we will be singing. Singing uniquely fills our affections and our minds with the truth of God's Word. But this morning... I want to focus on two reasons that we sing that you don't hear much about. They don't get a lot of attention. Not simply why we sing, but why we gather and sing. 
And both of them are in Ephesians 5. And look with me at verses 15 through 21. If you're at Ephesians 5, say amen. Amen. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And these next verses will be our focus this morning. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I have to say, as I, as I first began to study this text, I thought this is a very odd place for a verse on singing. I mean, this is getting into the practical section of the book of Ephesians, which starts in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and you have all of these commands, like, look carefully how you walk. Make the best use of your time. Don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so all of these commands on the way we should live and walk, the primary one being be filled with the Spirit. And then immediately after that, starting in verse 19, it begins to talk about singing. I just begin to wonder, what is the connection there between all of these commands, particularly the command to be filled with the Spirit, and then the command to be singing? And I think there is a significant connection there, and it really gives us, particularly in verses 18 through 21, two reasons why we sing on Sundays. Two reasons why we sing on Sundays. I encourage you to write these down. The first one is this. We sing on Sunday because we long for the presence of God. We long for the presence of God. Now, the structure of this text is important. This is how you understand the meaning of the text. And starting in verse 18, there is one command. The command is this, be filled with the Spirit. And then there are five ways in which we are filled with the Spirit, all flowing out of that one command. And as you would diagram this in the Greek, you would find that there's one command and then five different things that come after it. Those things are addressing one another, singing, making melody, giving thanks, and submitting to one another. But it just seems strange to me That right after you get this command to be filled with the Spirit, the very next thing that comes as a means by which we are filled with the Spirit is addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart. Now the command there is significant. It says be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know that means to be continually filled. It is a command that calls us moment by moment to be discovering whether we are filled with the Spirit, and if we discover that we are not, to be seeking once again to be pure and clean and once again filled with the Spirit. Now, the reason it brings in alcohol there is because it gives us a great picture of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It gives us this contrast. Do not be drunk with wine, but instead of that, be filled with the Spirit. And understanding what it means to be drunk with wine helps us to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't mean go get drunk with wine so you can learn to be filled with the Spirit. I just mean Paul is giving a contrast here that is significant. The contrast is this. When you are drunk with wine, you are under the influence of alcohol. As a matter of fact, you have actually submitted yourself, whether you realize it or not, 
to the control of another substance. So you are no longer under control. That substance is under control. Now Paul says, instead of that happening, you should actually be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You should be under the continual control of the Spirit that you should submit yourself not to some outside drink that gets you under its influence, but some internal influence, which is the Spirit of God that is now controlling you. So here's here's an incredible picture. Walk under the continual influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, this has been a theme for Paul in Ephesians. He starts in chapter 113 when he says that at the moment of salvation, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, if you've heard that you get saved and then sometime later you get the Holy Spirit, that's heresy. You're sealed with the Spirit of God at the moment that you get saved. Then it goes on in chapter 2, verse 22, and tells us that, listen to this, we as the children of God have become a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God himself dwells in his people by the Spirit. Then you go to chapter 3, verse 19, when Paul prays for the believers, and he prays that they might be filled with all the fullness of God, meaning it is possible to be sealed, which happens to everyone the moment you get saved, and yet not to be filled. That the sealing is ours, and it is there, and it is the guarantee of our inheritance, that we are the children of God. But there are moments in which you are filled and moments in which you are not filled with the Spirit. So Paul prays the ultimate prayer request, that we, like Christ, might be filled up to the very fullness of God, completely under the control of the Spirit of God, completely submissive to the Spirit's control. That when the Spirit says walk, we walk. When the Spirit says stop, we say stop. We are living moment by moment under the Spirit's control. Now, those three references are simply giving us an understanding of how the Spirit works. It is not until chapter 5 when we get this command, now knowing that you have the Spirit, knowing that you exist to be the dwelling place of God and that it is possible for you to be filled with the Spirit, now I'm commanding you, seek the filling of the Spirit of God. And then Paul says, Now, because of all of this happening with the Spirit and stirring up in us a desire to experience more of the Spirit, then right there, in the very first way in Ephesians 5, that we begin to seek the filling of the Spirit, it says this, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, this isn't saying that singing is the only way we get filled with the Spirit. This is just saying, for those of you who long to be filled with the Spirit, there is something about corporate singing that fills the people of God in a way that nothing else can do. Corporate singing, listen, attracts the presence of God. You cannot deny the connection. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, sing and make melody. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Listen, church, when we gather together as the people of God, lifting up songs of praise to the Lord, it attracts the presence of God. God loves when his people sing, and there is a certain thing that happens when we sing that only happens when the people of God sing. There are two little phrases that have probably 
affected my philosophy of ministry more than anything else in life. Uh, Two things that I've heard at different times that have really kind of turned the trajectory of my ministry, they are this. The first one is everything flows out of the presence of God. Everything. So as the new pastor who is seeking wisdom and direction and vision, do you know where every ounce of that is found? In the presence of God. As we're seeking to know what God has for us, as you're seeking to know what God has for you, do you know the place that you get clarity and wisdom and direction and peace and joy? It is in the presence of God. Everything is flowing through the presence of God. So the nearness to God that you experience will be directly related to the wisdom, understanding, guidance that you experience. Everything flows out of the presence of God. So that means more than anything else we do, we seek to get in the presence of God. That's the first one. The second one is this. We do not plan worship services to attract people. We plan worship services to attract the presence of God. As Ryan and I are going to sit down and think about worship services together, we're not going to think, what are the millennials going to like? What are the boomers going to like? What what, what is everybody? No, what we're thinking is this. What can we do and how can we sing and how can we worship in such a way that it welcomes the very presence of God? That's the question we're going to be asking. The presence of God has always been the primary thing that the people of God should seek. I mean, think about this. It was the, the presence of God, which is the only hope for the patriarchs headed to the promised land. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses said, God, if you don't go with us, don't send us. Like, we're not going without your presence. It is the heart cry of the psalmist. In Psalm 105, it says that we seek his presence continually. It is the longing of the prophets in Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence presence. It is the longing for the presence of God. The great promise of Jesus Christ is, and lo, I will be with you, even to the end of the age. It was the only hope for the early church. As Jesus said, don't go anywhere until you get the Holy Spirit. It has always been the presence of God that the people of God seek most. And I cannot explain it, but I'm absolutely confident that it is true. There is something about corporate singing that attracts God's presence. Just listen to 2 Chronicles 5. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and they sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then... The temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. Why? For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. When God's people gather and sing, it welcomes the presence of God. And if we long for God's presence, we must sing together. That's the first reason we sing on Sunday. So we sing on Sundays because we long for the presence of God. The second reason is this, write this down. We sing on Sundays because we love the people of God. We long for the presence of God. And we sing on Sundays because we love the people of God. Now, Ephesians 5 tells us a lot about singing. It says that there's varieties of songs because it says we 
address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's a variety of different types of songs that we sing. It says that our singing should be from the heart because it says making melody to the Lord with your heart. It says that our singing, listen, is Trinitarian. What do I mean by that? It means that our singing is spirit-inspired, God-centered, and Christ-exalting. These are spiritual songs. What does that mean? They're informed by the Spirit of God. We make melody to the Lord with our hearts. So they are God-centered, and they are Christ-exalting because we give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the reverence of Christ. So we're singing songs that are inspired by the Spirit, that are centered on God, that are always, in every song, exalting Jesus Christ. But you know the most surprising thing about what it says here about singing? Look, look at the beginning of verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, this means that in some way, the audience of our singing, listen, is one another. Are you getting this? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody, that we are not simply singing to the Lord, that we are addressing one another with our song. So the next time you hear someone say, I just sing for an audience of one, then you take them to Ephesians 5 and says, well, that that sounds great, praise God, makes you sound super spiritual, but... According to Ephesians 5, we do not sing for an audience of one. That there's something about singing to one another that matters to God. You know, when I first started in ministry, I had this worship pastor who uh, loved to worship, but he didn't know how to lead. And I would talk to him about this, and he would say, well, listen, I don't think you understand, man. It's just, it's just me and Jesus up here. We're just worshiping. And I said to him, it's not you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and about 600 other people. Like, you and Jesus can be in the car. You and Jesus can go. But in this moment, this is not just you and Jesus. This is you and the Spirit and the Father and the Son and all these other people. There is something about corporate worship in which God commands us to sing in such a way that it is not simply for the exaltation of God, but for the edification of the body of Christ. What an incredible thought. The call together and sing in order to edify one another. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14, 26. It says this. What then, brothers? Well, when you come together, Paul's having some conflict in the Corinthians church because they're getting a lot of out of control and there's a lot of people speaking in tongues and no one knows what's happening. It's chaos. And he's saying, no, 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 listen. When you come together, each one has a hymn and a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. And here's what he says. Let all things be done for building up. So whatever you do in the worship service, part of it is the building up of one another. Listen, again, I don't, I don't understand fully how this works. I don't understand how corporate singing attracts the presence of God, but I know it does. And I don't know exactly how corporate singing edifies the saints of God and displays love for the people of God, but I do know this One of the reasons we sing is because it does something to those around us. And this is the moment in which I will say again what I say often. Can I just give a special word here to dads? Dads, you singing is extremely significant to your children. 
because they want to know what you think about Jesus and they want to know what you think about worship and they're going to be looking to you to sing and if you're singing if you're singing you say well I can't sing it doesn't matter if you can sing the truth is your singing says something to your children and if you're not singing it says something even more to your children so just sing and even better than that if you have a horrible voice it even shows more that you love God because you're not singing clearly because you're a good singer like you just, you just love Jesus and you're, you're letting it rip, right? I always tell people I feel sorry for those around me because I sing loud and I'm frankly not that great at it, but I just, I love to sing. There's something significant that our singing does. We were talking about this in the worship ministry meeting on, on uh, Friday night when I was talking about how there's this constant play in worship that the choir is often looking to me and seeing how I'm responding and then they're responding in such a way and you're looking at them and how they're responding and all of us are leading each other and encouraging one another. Listen, we gather and sing for the love of the people of God. This is why it is not enough for you to simply worship at home. You must worship with the church of Jesus Christ. So here's, here's the practical question. If we sing because we long for the presence of God and we love the people of God, how, how, can, we, how can we do this? How can we gather together like this and sing every Sunday in a way that attracts God's presence and is loving to the people around us? I think the answer is in verses 20 and 21. Look. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Listen, th this is where it's going to get practical. H how do we sing in such a way and gather that we're inviting God's presence, which is all we want, and at the same time we're encouraging one another to display a love for the people of Christ? Well, the answer is in verse 20 and 21. It is this. We come to church, listen, with our hearts centered on God and focused on people. We come to church with our hearts centered on God and focused on people. You say, where do you get that? Well, verse 20 tells us that we come and worship with our hearts centered on God. We're giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that stirs up worship inside of us? What stirs up worship is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That everything you have, you've received. That God is the one who is the giver of all good things. That you were dead until he made you alive. You were in darkness until he brought you into the light. It is the only hope that you have is the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And as we gather as the people of God and sing Christ-exalting, God-glorifying songs, and you're reminded of who you are in Christ then it stirs up in us a heart that is centered on God. We're expressing our thanks to him because you have nothing that you have not received. This is why we constantly are pulling our songs back to the gospel of Jesus Christ because we gather and what unifies us is the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ united by the blood of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're not a part of the family of God, what a wonderful day for you to say, I, I want to be a part of what God's doing. I want to be a part of the people of God. And by placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone, by submitting to him as the Lord of your life, you have the opportunity to become a part of the family of God. We get our hearts centered on God. But listen, we get our hearts focused on people. 
verse 21. Submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Now, submitting to one another, listen, means an attitude of self-denial. Now, this is going to come together in a very significant way. The question is, is, how do we sing in such a way that it attracts the presence of God and loves the people of God? The answer is first that we get our heart centered on God and our heart focused on people. Verse 21, we're submitting to one another. We come into worship with an attitude of self-denial. We are putting others above ourselves. We are putting others' preferences before ourselves. We are seeking the interest of others before our own interest. This is really back to chapter 4 when he says, Seek above all things to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So how do you do that? Well, preferring one another is the way in which you do that. Now think about this. If you come to worship and your attitude in worship is to put other people's needs above yourself and to die to your own desires and wants, even that is attracting the presence of God because God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So if your thought in worship is me, 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 that means that God is pushing against you. But if your heart in worship is, how can we be together in a way that everybody else gets blessed? You, by your attitude, are attracting more of the presence of God. So it's not simply about you singing. It's about your heart being centered on God, focused on people saying, God, I'm here because of you. I love you. I want nothing more than your presence. Therefore, I will humble myself, seek what is best for everyone else. And then all of a sudden, it begins to attract God's presence. Now, I was trying to think of a way to, to illustrate this. Like, how could I illustrate what it looks like to come in in this congregation and sing in such a way that our heart is centered on God and our heart is focused on people where God's presence is coming and people are feeling loved and blessed. And uh, there's only one way I could think to do this. And so I'm going to invite a couple of my friends uh, up here this morning. Uh, Billy, would you come with me? And McGill, would you come? These are two of my uh, friends. I love both of these people. Um, you're not bringing that to hit me, are you? You just, okay, all right. <laughs> Billy, I want you to stand right here. Uh, and this is McGill. These are both friends of mine. I've shared some meals with Billy, and I'm friends with McGill's family, and so we've had some meals at their house together. McGill, you are uh, in ninth grade, eighth grade, 14 years of age. All right. <laughs> 86. <laughs> I don't mind him telling him. Late 40s, is that right? No. 86, 86 years of age. Okay. Now, I love both of these ladies. Let me just, let's, let me just state the obvious. They don't have a ton in common, all right? Uh, but they have some very important things in common. One of the things they have in common is they both love Jesus. They've both given their life to Jesus Christ. They've both made a profession of faith. They both love Jesus. Let me tell you something else. Uh, they're both members of our church. Th- these two ladies are a member of our church. And what I love is what they represent, Billy represents a generation of people that we should be incredibly grateful for because we're indebted to them. That in God's grace, God has used this generation to allow us to be here this morning. You realize Prince Avenue Baptist Church would not be here if it weren't for a generation of people who financially and uh, through great sacrifice gave themselves to this church and were here. I mean, this generation is still the ones that are giving the most and serving the most and faithful every Sunday here, no matter what it costs them, they're here. And so they represent something that we love about this church. And then McGill represents something incredible about this church, that God is raising up a new generation, amen? 
Like we need, I mean, Billy will only be around for 30 or so more years and we need... We need a new generation of those who love Jesus. And, and I love what this represents because I, I have to tell you, this is one of the things I love about Prince Avenue Baptist Church. I don't want to go to church with just Billy's. No offense. I don't want to go to church with just McGill's. I want to go to church where Billy and McGill are together and they're worshiping together and they love Jesus and they have willingly come and, and, and want to be a part of what God is doing here. So the question is this, knowing that they probably think very differently about music. How do both of them come to church on Sunday and worship? Well, listen, it's not simply about preference. I mean, Billy, I was thinking about you this morning. There are songs that, that you love, that you love because of things you've experienced in your life. You've been through a lot in your life, and there are songs you sang as a kid that are still with you that have sustained you in difficult times. McGill, there is no way just given your age, you can understand the life experience here. And the songs that you have in your arsenal that you love are very different than the ones that Billy has. There's nothing right or wrong about both songs. They just speak a different language. These two speak a different language of worship. So how can they worship together? Let, let me tell you how. Okay, McGill. The way in which this works is that every Sunday we're going to come together and we're going to sing some songs. And there's going to be some songs that you might want to roll your eyes out. I'm not seeing you roll your eyes. I'm just saying there could be some that maybe some 16th, 17th, 18th century hymns that are just not your sweet spot. It's not what you're listening to alone. Uh, and you're not exactly sure what to do. But let me tell you two ways that you can worship in that moment. The first one is this. McGill can get her heart centered on God. I assure you, no matter what the melody, no matter how loud it is, the words are going to exalt Christ. So, whether she likes the, the, the music or not, she can look at the words and allow her heart to get centered on God because of the truth that is there in the words. But you would say something that may be even more worshipful than that is for McGill in that moment, sitting right over there, knowing that Billy's sitting right over here, to open her eyes and watch as Billy is worshiping and praise God that she gets the opportunity to serve Billy by singing a song that she would not normally sing. And do you realize in that moment, McGill has worshipped more than she would have had it been a song that she just loved to sing and it was easy for her to sing? And Billy, it's the same for you, that you have an opportunity to, to look at the words of a song that may not be your preference and stay in your seat and not go back to the sound booth and tell them to turn it down. That... You told them. <laughs> she does this. <laughs> and, and, and you're looking at the words and the words are ministering to you. I mean, when death was arrested is probably what not you're listening to in the car. That's probably not your go-to. So, right. But my goodness, the truth of the gospel in that song can stir you up. And then you can look at McGill and think to yourself, praise Jesus that there is a new generation of people who have music in their language that they're responding to. And listen to that. If both of them do that and all of you do that, you know what happens? It attracts the presence of God. The tracks of presence of God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you both. All right. Thank you. Now listen, we've been walking through Philippians chapter 2. And in, in Philippians 2, we have been learning that Paul's desire is for the church to be together for the gospel displaying and declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says the only way that happens is if every member embraces the selfless humility of Christ. God's desire is to bring you to Christ and not only to save you, but to 
conform you into his image. Listen very carefully to this. Could it be that corporate worship, gathering together with people much unlike you, is one of the primary ways in which God wants to make you like his son, Jesus? Could it be that coming to corporate worship forces you to be in a place where they're singing songs that you don't like and forcing you to humble yourself and worshiping by praising God that others are worshiping? Could it be that if you left corporate worship because there was something you didn't like, then you would miss out on one of God's primary means to make you like Jesus Christ. Every time we gather, the call is to center our hearts on God, to focus our eyes on people because we long for his presence and we love his people. Listen, we do all of this because we love the glory of Jesus Christ. Like, that's it. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's, it's to his name be praised, that his name is the name above every name. And what we want to do is worship in such a way, listen, where when people come up here, they're not simply hearing the gospel. They're seeing the gospel by the self-sacrifice of the people of God. We want to display the gospel every time we get together. We want to declare the gospel every time we get together. And you have an opportunity through the condition of your heart to welcome God's presence in a way that is felt by everyone who comes in here. It is my prayer that by God's grace and for his glory, we would be that people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.